0: You're listening to the Renew Life Church podcast. We hope this message inspires you and challenges you to become a true disciple of Jesus. To find out more about us, go to renewlifechurch.com. All right, all right. How's everybody doing this morning? Oh, I got gum. so unprofessional. Um, yeah, they expect me to come up here and have my wits about me after that word over Susanna. But um, anyway, we uh, it's good to be here. Uh, I won't take a ton of time just because I'm really excited about uh, who we have with us today. Just a, a quick story. In, case, in fact, in case you're new here, uh, my name is Braden. Uh, my wife and I are lead pastors here at New Life Church. Started this one here uh, almost 10 years ago. In fact, don't miss our celebration service, August the 20th. Uh, we have Corey Russell. If you've never heard of Corey Russell, uh, I'm just going to tell you right now. I met him actually through Banning, and the last couple years, I can't think of two messages that have impacted me more than the two that Corey preached at uh, um, our the pastors' conference there. And so, just knew immediately, I want this. I want this prophet speaking into the next decade of our ministry. So, just put that on your calendar, August 20th. But been almost 10 years. Uh, we call this home. But uh, I uh, I met Banning. I don't remember how many years ago now. It's been several years ago, but Funny quick story, uh, we uh, pretty soon after meeting him, he found out that I had never left the country. And I'm, I'm like his redneck hick friend from Texas. I mean, you know how snobby those Californians are, they think they're better than us. But some, for some reason, they're all moving here, so I don't really know what to do with that. But uh, so he's kind of giving me a hard time about having never left the country. And uh, he comes by my table at an event we were at with him and he said, hey, next time I go overseas, you should come with me. And I was like, all right. And we weren't close at all really at, at this point, I was just there. So he walks off and a, a buddy of mine says, hey, you need, you need to take him up on that offer. Like he doesn't just go around inviting people, you really should say yes. And so uh, built up the courage right after the meeting to call him and said, hey, like I was serious. If you ever want me to go with you somewhere, uh, just let me know, I'll, I'd, be, I'd love to travel with you. He's okay, okay, great, I'll, I'll let you know. And it kind of felt like a blow off answer and I was like, great, see, he was not even serious about the offer. And so, like 30 minutes later, the phone rings and it's him again. And I I was like, hello? And he goes, hey, you wanna go to South Africa? And I was like, when? He goes, two weeks. And I'm like, I can't go to South Africa in two weeks. Anyway, he said, well, next trip, next trip just happened to be Australia. Long story short, uh, we went to Australia for a little bit. It was a phenomenal, phenomenal trip, but uh, it was one of those things where I, I had so I looked up to Banning, I still look up to Banning, but I had really looked up to Banning leading into that. And so I was kind of a ner- bit nervous going into the trip. And within like the first 30 minutes, we became like brothers. Uh, it was just kind of funny. And uh, we laughed and joked and made fun of each other and did a bunch of stuff and had the, had the best time. But while we were there, he was preaching at multiple events, a conference and different things. And he, he said I was his armor bearer. I refused to accept that title of armor bearer for you, but um, he, so I was with him in several times. And what would be funny to me would, we would walk into these church services, different conferences that he was at, joking around, goofing around, still cracking jokes all the way leading up to him walking on the platform. Uh, but then when he would grab the microphone and began to speak, I mean, it was like something in my spirit, like Tin hut, you know, like, you acknowledge the gift that was on his life. And so what I've learned is, is that God has sent me big brothers into my life that we can goof around, have a relationship, have fun. But when they're stepping into that pulpit, when they're stepping into what God's called them to do, it's as if God himself is using that man to speak to me. That's how I've felt for years. I think that's how you're gonna feel uh, this morning as he speaks. So if you would just welcome Banning Leepshire.
1: So good. Listen, my my mom was born and raised in Lubbock, but I have no, but I, I am not connected to her family at all. So I know that I have roots in Lubbock. I've got some Texas in me, but I don't really have any connection, any family. So when I met Braden, I'm like, I'm gonna get to know some Texas, and uh, not just Texas, West Texas, which I'm finding is a whole other thing. Like we don't even we don't even claim Austin over here, right? Like this is just. So uh, uh, it's just, it's amazing taking him to, taking him to Australia. This was the question that he asked. For. You know, we're over there, we're going to a zoo, you're looking at these animals. The only question, can you hunt that? That's the question, can you hunt that? Can you hunt that? Can you hunt that? We were in the car last night uh, or, and driving home from something and, and I happened to mention that I've never had catfish. He about got in a car accident, like he almost about passed out, couldn't believe it. I've never had catfish. He goes, catfish with like some hush puppies? I'm like, well, I've never had hush puppies either. I just like, they were, him and Leanne were like literally stunned, like just could not believe that I've never had fried catfish and hush puppies. So it's gonna be my next mandate. Whenever we come out here, we gotta go. It sounds healthy. It sounds super healthy. It sounds healthy, so. Too soon, by the way, for you uh, uh, being sarcastic about all the Californians moving to Texas. Too soon. Way too soon. The amount of people that left California, the amount of... We just, for the entire year, we just said goodbye to people. It was so crazy. So, well, it's good to be here. Are you guys ready to get in the Word today? Absolutely love what God's doing at this church, 4th of July weekend. No better place to be than Midland for 4th of July. We were on the lake yesterday and a speedboat went by that was full on painted as the American flag. Just, I was just in Texas with the American flag flying by me on a speedboat. I just thought this is where I should be on 4th of July weekend. If you have your Bibles and hopefully you bring your Bibles to church, we're going to get to 2 Kings chapter 4 in just a minute. I want to give you something the Lord's been speaking to me about for a year or so, but... Uh, um, kind of unpack a little bit of what I feel the Lord's saying. Uh, but Haggai chapter 2, we're going to go to, we're going to start in Haggai 2, we're going to end up in 2 Kings 4. So if you if you have your Bible, put your finger in one, go to the other. 2 Kings chapter 4, we're going to go to Haggai chapter 2. I, um, I I'm somebody that loves to know what time it is. I, I hate not knowing what time it is. I hate not being aware of the time. I'm a little bit of a stickler around that too. Like if I ask you what time it is, like I, I, I don't want you to round up. I want you to tell me what time it is. And, um, and, and now that we have cell phones, uh, you know, but I always wore watches my entire life. I just, I was, I was a little kid wearing a watch. I wore it to bed at night. I wore it in the shower. I just always had a watch on. I don't even know why. I, I found a, a kindergarten picture of me, five years old, in my little kindergarten class of 25 kids, and I was the only one five-year-old wearing a watch. You know, in in whatever year that would have been 1981. And so I just love knowing what time is. I don't get at all. I don't understand people who kind of are unaware of what to, I'm married to one of them. It's insane. I'm just married to somebody who's kind of unaware of time. And uh, like uh, she'll call me. Uh, like she's supposed to be here right now. She'll call me. I'm like, are you on your way? She's like, oh, what time is? It? I'm kind of headed out now. I'm like. It's starting right now, so I just don't like... I don't know if you're like that, but you're an anarchist. Um, my, my, uh, my, my youth pastor, who's in his 50s now, uh, he told a story of a prank they played on this, at, at college, at their university, on a dorm mate of theirs, a roommate in these dorms. and uh, it, it was in Minneapolis, so it's really cold. It's really dark in the morning, and, and this university... In order to help students get from building to building without having to go out in the cold, they had just enclosed walkways between all the buildings. So you didn't have to go, you didn't have to go outside at all. So one night, this kid's going to bed in the dorm room, and uh, he's going to go to bed at 11 o'clock. He's got to wake up at 7 a.m. the next morning because he's got to get ready. Got to go to the cafeteria to get some breakfast and then go to class at 8.30 or whatever. So he goes to bed at 11 o'clock at night. And when he goes to bed, he sets his alarm for 7 a.m. And, uh, and so they come in and they change his clock to go off at midnight, but it said 7 a.m. So, so he goes to sleep. An hour later, the alarm goes off. He looks over. His clock says 7 a.m. And, and he, he thinks it's time to get up. So he wakes up, and he's just like, man, I don't feel like I slept at all. Uh, he gets up. His roommate is literally brushing his teeth. He's like, good morning. How'd you sleep? He's like, I don't feel like I slept. He goes, man, I slept great, man. It's going to be a great day or whatever. Guy's coming out of the shower. He, he full-on shaves, gets dressed, gets his books ready, irons his clothes, gets all ready. It's like midnight now he's walking down the hallway in the dorms and they had guys coming out of the dorms at the to- right time. And they're like, ah, oh, good morning, have a great day. Like this what they're doing is he's walking out, he's just like an hour asleep. walks, you know, he's walking, it's morning, it's dark already, he's walking through all these outdoor walkways whatever and uh, gets to the cafeteria, the doors are closed, he's confused, he finally gets up and realizes that they've played a prank on him. But this is, this is, this is why I tell you this story. I am here to make sure you know what time it is. This is, this is my mandate in life for you. In the, I, I, One of the things that grieves my heart is seeing believers who are unaware of what time it is, who are unaware of what God's doing, are unaware, of, if you don't know what time it is, how do you actually know what to be doing? And Here's the word that I've heard. Here's the word that I believe the Lord's speaking. It's just this. It's time to get to work. If I was to say what's the prophetic word right now, I believe it's this. It's time to get to work. I'm going to show you the passage where this kind of really came alive for us in the last couple of years. But you don't have to be prophetic to say this statement, that the last few years have been pruning. <laughs> They've been, uh, many people, uh, it's, it's, it's just been uh, a time of disruption, it's been a time of distraction. Many people have got the wind knocked out of them. But in the midst of that season, the Lord spoke very clearly to us that we are to get ready for what he's about to do. And he spoke to us out of Haggai chapter 2. Haggai chapter 2 is a prophetic word that Haggai is about to give some of the older Israelites because in Ezra chapter 3, it tells a story. If If you know the history of Israel, when they were taken into exile, when they were taken into Babylon, they were there for 70 years. But then the exiles began to return to Jerusalem. And as they retired, this is 70 years of exile. They're tired, they're worn out, they're exhausted. And they're back in Jerusalem, but not thriving. They're just in pockets around Jerusalem. But during that time, they lay the the foundation for the second temple. Ezra chapter 3 tells a story that when they lay the foundation for the second temple, the older priests and the old men who had been there before began to weep. Not out of joy, but out of sorrow, because what they were looking at on the second temple foundation didn't look like the first one. Looked smaller, didn't look as significant. It was different than what they had known. And so they were weeping. At the same time, some of the younger men were just celebrating because the foundation had laid, so they were rejoicing. Ezra 3 describes the scene as you couldn't tell the difference. It was so loud that you couldn't distinguish between those that were weeping and those that were rejoicing, those that were celebrating. Haggai comes along at this time to give a prophetic word for those who had been weeping. He's going to come and give a prophetic word for those who were were tired and worn out and had seen this foundation. It just wasn't what they thought it would be. It wasn't what it used to be. And he comes and he gives them this word. Listen to this word in Haggai chapter 2, verse 3. Who of you is left who saw this house in its former glory? How does it look to you now? Does it not seem to you like nothing? But now be strong, Zerubbabel, declares the Lord. Be strong, Joshua the high priest. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord. And here's what I'm gonna get back to, and it says this, and work. Be strong, all you people of the land, declares the Lord, and work. For I am with you, declares the Lord Almighty. This is what I covenanted with you when you came out of Egypt. My spirit remains among you, do not fear. This is what the Lord Almighty says, in a little while I will once more shake the heavens and the earth the sea and the dry land. I will shake all nations and what is desired by all nations will come and I will fill this house with glory, says the Lord Almighty. The silver is mine and the gold is mine, declares the Lord Almighty. The glory of this present house, will be greater than the glory of the former house, says the Lord Almighty. Haggai comes along, and as these men are weeping, as they're wore out, as they're exhausted, as they're a little bit discouraged, he comes along and says this, those of you that have seen the former house, I need you to understand that God has not forgotten his covenant with you, that it remains, and he's about to fill this house with glory. He's going to shake the heavens and the earth once again, and the glory of this house will be greater than anything you've ever seen. And he throws this little phrase in there, get to work. Get to work. I think if, if you were to come to my office, um, one of the things that you would run into on my bookshelf is just books on revival. I have a deep passion for revival, and so I began just to, just to gather books on revival, revivalists, the history of revival. And uh, a lot of that fire for me just kind of came. It's one of the gifts that Bill Johnson gave me. I was interning at 19 years old at Bethel when Bill came on staff, and then he hired me on. I was on staff there for 18 years. And um, one of the things that he kind of opened my eyes to was the concept of revival. I'd known a little bit about Azusa Street because I was in an AG church, but the concept of revival was a little bit foreign to me, and I didn't know that there were, that there were outpourings of the Holy Spirit, awakenings. I didn't know if there was times when the entire cities could be saved or culture could be transformed or harvest could come in uh in in just mass like god would move in such a significant way that the power and presence of god would awaken believers with a greater passion for jesus that culture would be transformed the harvest would come in this was all kind of eye-opening to me and so i began just to dive in i was just so hungry to read books on revival and stories of revival and revivalists and so currently today if you come into my office some of my most treasured books are those books but one of the things that sometimes we can make a mistake on as we read about revival is that many times revival feels like kind of a random act of God. Like, why would God pick that city at that time? Why would God choose that church and that moment? And it kind of feels like we just kind of think, well, I don't know, God kind of randomly does it. That we kind of sweep it into the category of the sovereignty of God. Well, God is sovereign and He just kind of picks what He wants to pick and He chooses what He wants to choose. And that's why in 1995, uh, an outpouring of the Holy Spirit and revival broke out in Brownsville and Pensacola, Florida, because God just kind of randomly chooses this place. Listen, I believe deeply in the sovereignty of God. I, I believe in the sovereignty of God, which just means this I believe that God is in charge, I believe that God is sitting on the throne. I believe that nobody's voted God off the throne. I, I, I believe that God's on the throne even when the person in the White House isn't who we want in the White House, that God's still on the throne. I believe that when grace seems to be, uh, that when sin seems to be abounding in the nation, God's still on the throne. I believe that nobody's pushed him off the throne, voted him off the throne, that God's not been overthrown. I believe this. Are you with me on this? I believe that God is in control. I believe that God is in charge. But I also believe that God invites us to participate And partner with him in what he wants to do i believe that god actually connects himself to us to see his plans and purposes accomplished in the earth and while i believe in the sovereignty of god i also believe this that we have a part to play we have a part to play i think there's been somewhat of a swing on this pendulum which i actually believe is probably healthy but but that we somehow think that faith um, doesn't involve any action on our part. And some of it is, I think, is a reaction to the fact that many of us have grown up in environments where you were trying to earn God's love. You were trying to, like, I grew up in an environment where full on what you wore, when you went to church, how you acted, these were all trying to get God to love you more, to accept you more. And we believed grace was by, that salvation was by grace, but there was a lot of works involved in our salvation as well, trying to somehow get God to save us and accept us and love us. So I would say this, that you cannot earn salvation. It's a free gift you receive. And you cannot earn God's love for you. You cannot be better to get God to love you more. God loves you. God loves you when you show up to church every single Sunday, and God loves you when you skip church. God still loves you, like you can't earn that. It's something that he gives. God loves you when you're an idiot. And God loves you when you're doing great. Like God, so, so I believe that you can't work for or you can't earn salvation or God's love. But putting those two things aside, the thought that somehow our faith doesn't require real action and work is just not accurate. In fact, we know this, that faith When we talk about the sovereignty of God, even even when you look at the revival, and I I mentioned 1995 in Brownsville, it wasn't just a random act of God just throwing a dart at a dartboard. There was an invitation that was extended to the pastor there two years before who responded, set apart Sunday nights, canceled their Sunday night service, just began to seek the Lord. Like like we participate in what God wants to do both in the macro level and micro level. What I mean by that is God has plans and purposes for the nation, and he has plans and purposes for Texas, and he has plans and purposes for West Texas and Midland. He has plans and purposes, and he invites you to partner and participate, but he also has plans and purposes for your marriage and for your finances and for your health and for your relationships and your neighborhood and your work, and he invites you to participate in those. The way that we participate in that is faith. Faith is what allows us to partner with God and to participate. But, but faith looks like something. Let me read this to you. James chapter 2, verse 17 says this In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. You cannot earn salvation, but faith has action connected to it. God will say, I want to bless you, but you still are required to plant a seed. This is Isaac. I, I, God, God's like, I want to bless you in the midst of famine, but you still got to go sow seeds. <laughs> you still got to go plant. God's like, my plan is to bless you. Here's how faith manifests. Go plant a seed. 2 Kings chapter 4 is a story of a widow. Uh, When Elijah goes to heaven, he leaves behind his successor Elisha, becomes a prophet in the nation. And he has what are kind of called this community of the prophets, sons of the prophets, different translations. And one of the community of the prophets, one of the prophets, one of the sons of the prophets, he dies leaves behind a widow and two boys. And in those times, the only way that a, a, a woman could really provide is to have a husband. And so, so when he died and there was debt, the creditors come and say, you owe us money and she has no way to, she has no way to pay it. So they said, that's okay, we'll take your sons as slaver, as slaves to pay that debt. So you can just imagine the situation this woman is in. She just lost her husband. She's a widow. Now she's about to lose her two sons. She's desperate. She cries out to Elisha. And Elisha is going to, God's going to provide for this widow. And Elisha tells her what he's going to do. I want you to just read this. 2 Kings chapter 4, verse 1. The wife of a man from the company of the prophets cried out to Elisha, Your servant, my husband, is dead, and you know that he revered the Lord but now his creditor is coming to take my two boys as his slaves. Elisha replied to her, how can I help you? Tell me, what do you have in your house? Your servant has nothing there at all, she said, except a small jar of olive oil. Elisha said, go around and ask all your neighbors for empty jars. Don't ask for just a few. Then go inside and shut the door behind you, and you and your sons. Pour oil into all the jars and as each is filled, put it on one side. She left him and shut the door behind her and her sons. They brought the jars to her and she kept pouring. When all the jars were full, she said to her son, bring me another one. But he replied, there is not a jar left. Then the oil stopped flowing. Faith is, faith is what attracts heaven. Faith is the currency by which heaven operates. Bible is very clear on faith. Faith is if you have it, nothing's impossible. If you have it, mountains move. Faith is what pleases God. Faith is what we live by. It's what we see by. Faith is the currency of heaven. But faith looks like something. Faith has action connected to it. And I just want to tell you this. This is the simplicity of what I want to tell you today. That one of the most simple but profound manifestations of faith is the act of preparation. That if faith looks like something, one of the most simple but profound manifestations of faith in our life is the simple act of preparation. In Hebrews chapter 11 which is the hallmark passage on faith describing all of these men and women of faith, when it gets to Noah in verse 7, listen how it describes Noah. Hebrews 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being divinely warned of things not yet seen. In other words, God just spoke to him about what was about to happen. Moved with godly fear, prepared an ark for the saving of his household. Let me reword that. When God spoke to Noah, by faith Noah prepared an ark. In other words, how did faith manifest in the life of Noah? We we know Noah believed God, not because he said he believed God. You can tell me you believe God all you want. There there, there needs to be action connected to that belief. We know Noah believed God because he prepared for what what God said. uh, Maya, I have three kids. They're all young adults now. And, um, but when we were, you know, having our family and going through the, you know, getting pregnant, you go through the ritual of the pregnancy test. And so, you know, 20 some odd years ago, I'd go to, you know, down, CJ, like, I wanna take a pregnancy test. I go down to the drugstore, pick up an EPT test. You would come back and then, you know, we'd go upstairs to our bathroom and my wife would pee on this little stick. And then we'd stick it on the back of the toilet And it said, you got to wait three minutes. So we'd sit on the back of the toilet, three minutes. And so we got three minutes and we just make small talk. How's your day been? What's going on? What are we doing for dinner? What's going on tomorrow? Like just three minutes. And then we'd look down. And if there was one line after three minutes, well, we just, life would go on as it normally is. You know, we'd go downstairs and cook dinner and watch a movie and go on with our day. But if there was a second line on that test, if a second line showed up on that test, Life as I know it will never be the same. One line in three minutes changes my life. Just We've just been making small talk for three minutes, but, but this line on this test is saying something to me. This line on this test is saying something's coming and you better be ready. And so my wife kicks into hyper-preparation mode. Not in a few weeks, that minute. Like, do you understand this? Not like, not like, hey, we'll get around to this. Like immediately, we're like thinking about stuff, talking about stuff, looking up stuff, buying stuff, painting stuff, cleaning stuff. By the third one, I realized it was just a racket. And I'm like, we got time, okay, we'll be fine. I will paint this in a month or so. I don't have to paint it today because you saw a second line on a test. I don't need to go down to Lowe's and get paint immediately. You know, it was like, but there's just this like, like there's a test that says something's coming. And so now my life begins to prepare for that. Guys, we believe things in the natural more than we believe God. I just want to say this, man. I think we think God's lying to us. God says, I want to bless you but you do nothing to prepare. I want to pour out my spirit, but you do nothing to prepare. You go, I believe God. I'm like, you don't believe God. I think you think God's lying to you. It's quiet in here. 11 o'clock, come on, 11 o'clock. I'm right, okay? Give me just say, I'm right. <laughs> well, you could say you believe God all you want. It should manifest in some action, and that action looks like I'm preparing for what he said. This is, the, this is the amazing passage in Haggai 2. He's like, listen, I know you're wore out. I know you're a little discouraged. I know this doesn't look like what you thought it was going to look like. I know you've been 70 years in exile. But listen, I'm about to pour out my spirit. I'm about to shake the heavens and the earth. I'm going to fill this glo- fill this house with glory. It'll be greater than the present, than the former glory. Get to work. Get to work doing what? Preparing for what he said. See sometimes I think we approach God like we like he's that friend that we just can't really trust. Like God's in my life, he's around. I'm not sure I can fully trust him though. My wife and I went our kids were little. You know the house would be a mess. We're just exhausted. We're working trying to raise these kids, trying to keep the house clean. So so I'd be like we got to clean the house. He's like, I know, I don't want to clean the house. I'm like, I don't want to clean the house. So if we were not motivated to clean the house, we had like a life hack we came up with. And the life hack was this. If, we, if either one of us weren't motivated to clean the house, we would invite a couple over for dinner. Because we knew that if we invited a couple over for dinner, we'd clean the house. It was horrible. People were like, thanks so much for having us come over. I just needed to clean the house, but okay. Okay. <laughs> So so we'd invite somebody to come over for dinner and then we'd clean the house because they're coming over for dinner. So if you can imagine me coming to Braden, you know, it's Sunday and I say, Brayden, listen, Tuesday night, man, we'd love to have you and Leanne over to our house for dinner. And Braden looks at me and says, all right, man, I'd love to be there. Seven o'clock, I'll be there. I'm like, okay. Well, I believe him. And because I believe he's coming over at seven o'clock, my life begins to move into preparation. In other words, if you were to come over Monday afternoon and you saw me vacuuming and you're like, why are you vacuuming? Cause I've got guests coming over tomorrow night. Braden and Leanne are coming over. Braden said he's going to come over, so I, I'm actually preparing for him to come over. If you saw me at the grocery store on Tuesday, buying, buying ribeyes and 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 buying, you know, just meat, pretty much, right? Just buying meat and, uh, and catfish. If you saw me buying catfish, I'm going to fry up and hush puppies. I don't know what it is, but we're going to do. We're going to have it. If you saw me there, you're like, what are you doing? Well, Braden's coming over seven o'clock. I'm getting ready for it. So, so because I believe him, it manifests in my life preparing. Now, if Braden was a pathological liar who says things that he never really does, doesn't really keep his word, one of those guys... You know, like, hey, you want to hang out? On t- I'd love to hang out. Let's do it. What do you think? Tuesday? All right, man, I'd love to. Or I'm going to be there. But he said this to me so many times before and just always has an excuse for why he can't come or just doesn't show up, doesn't call, doesn't show up or calls him right before and says, I can't do it. And that's the experience I've had with him. Well, I don't walk away quite as eager to prepare because I don't believe him. I'm probably not cleaning on Monday. Before I go to the grocery store on Tuesday, I'm calling him like, you sure, Braden? Are you sure you're coming over? I said I'm coming over. I know you said you're coming over, but are you sure you're coming over? Like, it, there's some hesitation in my life because he, he hasn't proven to be trustworthy. But that's not really the case because in reality, I, he's always kept his word. Like, just even in the natural, he's always kept his word. So I believe him. If he says he's coming over at seven o'clock, he's coming over. Guys, we approach God, though, as if we don't really trust him. We're not sure we can really take him at his word. We're not really sure he's going to do what he said he's going to do. So he comes, he says, I want to do this in your church. I want to do this in your family. I want to do this in your workplace. I want to do this in your finances. I want to do this. And and if our life doesn't begin to manifest in preparation, I'm just telling you right now, it's one of those signs that maybe I don't actually believe God. Because if I actually believed him, I'd start preparing. How do we know Noah believed God? He started building an ark. How do we know that the, the widow believed Elisha? She did what he said. She started going to get vessels because there's going to be oil that's poured out. I better make sure I have vessels. I better make sure I have jars. See, one of the things we need to realize as believers is that your life kind of boiled down to its core, is preparing the way for Jesus. There's a... um, John the Baptist, when when they came to John the Baptist and said, John, who are you? Are you the prophet? No. Are you Elijah? No. Are you this? No, no, no. He goes, who are you? And then with confidence, he just said this. He quotes a prophetic word from Isaiah. He says, I am the voice of one crying in the wilderness. Prepare the way of the Lord. John had encountered God in the desert, and, and God had come and said, hey, John, listen, you know that prophecy in Isaiah? They didn't have chapters then, but Isaiah 40, you know, that, you know that prophecy? Yeah, that's talking about you. You're the one the prophet Isaiah was talking about. Prepare the way of the Lord. But Isaiah 40, when Isaiah prophesies it, it's actually a reference to something that would happen in ancient times amongst secular kings. He was actually referencing, there was a prophetic word that was kind of a reference to secular kings in ancient times. Let me read this to you Isaiah chapter 40. Can I read this to you real quick? Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. It says this A voice of one calling in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight in the desert a highway for our God. Every valley shall be raised up, every mountain and hill made low, and rough ground shall become level. The rugged places a plain. And the glory of the lord be revealed this is actually what would happen in the natural so i i know that west texas doesn't claim austin as its capital but <laughs> but a king who a king in ancient times that would live in austin he would make a declaration i want to visit midland and when he made that declaration from austin There is now a company of people who for two years their only job was to build a highway for the king from Austin to Midland. And they would do what Isaiah is talking about. If there was a crooked place, they would make it straight. If there was a valley, they would bring it up. If there was a mountain, it would be brought low. They would beautify this path so that when the king finally came from Austin on his way to Midland, he had a straight highway, a straight path with no obstacles to get to that city. And there was a company of people that for two years would just be doing that. I got to tell you, this is our life. Our life is God saying, My, my life is preparing the way for Jesus to have straight access to my children. My life is preparing the way for Jesus to have straight access to my friends, for Jesus to have straight access to my city. I want to build highways for Jesus to show up. I want to build highways for Jesus to come and encounter a generation in America. And so we build highways. God says, I want to bless your finances. I want to build a highway for that. I want to do something with your kids. I want to build a highway for that. I want to touch your city. I want to build a high. I want Jesus to have clear access from heaven to come and invade every situation. This is why as believers, the concept of intercession and prayer is so important. Because as intercessors, we build highways in the spirit. You think, what are you doing in your prayer meetings? I'm just preparing the way for Jesus to come into my city. And we're going to go handle things in the spirit. And we're going to go take down mountains. And we're going to go fill up valleys. And we're going to make crooked places straight with the authority God has given us in the spirit realm. It's all part of that same thing that we're going to provide, that we're going to make a highway for God to come. I believe this with all of my heart. It's my, my main mandate as a father is just to provide a highway for God to come and meet with my children. And I'm going I'm to take down. There might be a mountain in front of that, and I'm in prayer going to get into intercession and stand on that wall and take that mountain down so that God can have access. It's part of the mandate that God says, listen, I want to come. Now prepare a way for me. faith manifests as the simple act of preparation the question should be this where in your life where in your life are you preparing for what he said macro and micro sometimes God says I believe this with all my heart what I'm about to say America is about to see the greatest harvest we've ever seen that what's what's happening in the nation right now with sin, with chaos, with confusion, what's happening right now is, I'm telling you, it is setting us up for the greatest harvest the world's ever seen. So I can either begin to prepare for that or I can just sit around and complain. Half the time I'm like, do you understand what God is saying about the nation right now? Do you understand what he's saying about the nation? Because if you don't, you won't prepare. But if you do then no longer can we sit around and just complain about it. We have to do something to prepare for what he's about to do. Even when we're wore out, I feel this with all my heart. Like I, Some of us are so wore out right now from all that's going on. I just hear the Lord saying, hey, uh, you're wore out right now. Get to work. Get to work. I'm about to, I'm about to shake the heavens again. I'm about to fill this place with glory. I'm, about to sh- I, the, uh, I'm coming. It's going to be greater than anything you've ever seen. I think the sobering fact, really, for any of us, when it comes to the concept of faith and partnering with God that, God, that His plans and purposes, He partners with us. It's just mind-boggling. God says, this is what I want to do, and I'm going to connect myself to you. I, I, want, I want to partner with you to see this happen. But many times, many times, the level of your preparation determines the level of your outpouring. This is the concept of 2 Kings 4, the widow. They went and gathered jars. And the oil continued until the last jar that they gathered. The oil didn't stop five jars before, and it didn't continue after the last jar. The, the amount of outpouring that happened was directly connected to what they did. Our lives, there's, there's three pictures in Scripture that we've been using. Your life should be building arcs. Your life should be gathering jars and your life should be mending nets. The mending nets is a whole other story where Jesus told them to throw nets out and they just they didn't really believe Jesus, they did. And the nets were, so much fish, and nets were breaking. And I just feel a word from the Lord right now that we can pray for the harvest all we want. If we are not preparing by creating cultures of discipleship in our environments, if we are not deeply committed to being a disciple of Jesus and therefore being a discipler, then, then the harvest is going to come in and our nets are going to break. But when we hear, God, there's a harvest coming, then preparation looks like, let's make sure our nets are strong enough. Let's make sure our culture of discipleship is strong. Let's make sure that every single believer is activated to be discipling people, to be, to be disciples, making disciples who make disciples who make disciples. As simple as it is that we would be in, begin to get in this mode guys many times the worst team could come up but many times what happens is not only does your level of outpouring determine not only does your level of preparation determine your level of outpouring, but i think many times we're praying for things that the lord isn't convinced we actually value i have um my you know obviously the most treasured thing in the world to me is my kids and uh when i was a uh, when i was a youth pastor One of the best things about being a youth pastor was just the plethora of babysitters. Like, there were so many teenage girls that just wanted to babysit our kids when they were little. And uh, so we never had a problem finding a babysitter. And these girls would come up and be like, oh, my gosh, I love your kids. They're so cute. Your kids are so amazing. I love your kids. Please, can I watch them? I really want to watch them sometime. Will you please let me babysit them? So, you know, one of these girls' name was Holly. And I might look at Holly and say, Holly, you know what? I'd love to. Um, You know, we're going, we gotta run some errands on Saturday. Can I drop my kids off at your house at two o'clock on Saturday? And Holly goes, I love your kids. That would be so amazing. I'd love nothing more than your kids than to watch your kids, drop them off two o'clock. So I get to Holly's house on two o'clock on Saturday and I open the door or she opens the door and I walk in and I automatically kind of start noticing some stuff. There's a fire going without any fire guard. You know, no screen up, no fire screen. There's There's a sliding glass door open to a pool outside that has no fence. It's kind of dirty. There's a pit bull. There's some knives on the counter. Some open chemicals. (laughs) And when I walk in and see this in the house, there's no way I'm leaving my kids there. There's no way I'm going to let you. I don't care how much you tell me you love my kids. I don't care how much you tell me you value my kids. I'm not leaving them at your house. Here's why. Because you have not prepared for them and your lack of preparation communicates to me we don't value the same thing <laughs> your lack of preparation communicates you don't value my kids like i value my kids if you value my kids at the same level i value my kids you you'd get things in order we're just like god oh just pour out your spirit more of your glory god but then we don't get our house in order God, would you just increase my finances, increase my favor, increase my anointing. God, increase all this stuff. And the Lord's like, I'm not sure you value it at the same level I value it. The glory of God being poured out in our midst. God, release a harvest. I need to see you get your house in order a little bit. Okay, now it's really quiet. This is the challenge I just want to give you. And guys, listen, I'm talking, I keep saying macro and micro because sometimes we're talking about just like, you know, what's it look like to prepare for an outpouring of the Holy Spirit in the nation, but I'm talking about your own personal life too. Where is the Lord speaking to you and how are you manifesting faith in preparation? Where does the Lord want to bless you but is inviting you to partner with him in it? Where is the Lord wanting to move but inviting you to participate with the action of faith, which looks like preparation. That's a challenge I'd have for you. Here's just the word, it's time to work. God's about to do something so significant in your life. God's about to do something so significant in this church. God's about to do something so significant in West Texas and the nations of the earth. God's going to do it, get to work, begin to prepare, and for many of us, you've been tired, you've been exhausted. The wind got knocked out of you. You're looking, and, and I, Haggai is showing up to you right now and saying, listen, God hasn't forgotten about his covenant to you. It is still there, and what you're about to experience will be greater than anything you've ever experienced. But you have to get to work.
0: Thanks for listening. We hope you felt encouraged by today's message. If you need prayer or would like to connect with us, find us on social media or by going to RenewLifeChurch.com.